Empower Radio presents The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And in times of whole system transformation, is it necessary to experience breakdowns before the breakthroughs emerge? Today, we are going to muse into an alternative way for our world, ourselves, and collective consciousness to evolve and grow into the greater possibilities of our future becoming. Like a caterpillar, our future potentials already exist within us as imaginal cells. Now think about this for a moment. If you're a regular listener here on the show, you've heard us talk about the caterpillar butterfly metaphor a lot. We've often referred to what's happening with the consciousness on our planet and what's happening within us by talking about the chrysalis stage. Our guests today invite us to think about it a little differently with a twist. So imagine if our future potential already exists within us as imaginal cells, as in the caterpillar, can we tap into that? Can we hack the evolutionary process? We're going to dig into this potential and talk about the cosmic keys. I trust we'll have a lively discussion of our future human potential. And really, I'm introducing you to a new book that is so fun and engaging and adventurous, and um, you're going to love it. So I invite you to take a few deep breaths, open your heart and mind, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guests. First, Dr. Jean Houston is a legendary legend in her own time as a world-renowned scholar, futurist, and researcher in human capacities, social change, and systemic transformation. She is one of the principal founders of the Human Potential Movement and one of the foremost visionary thinkers and doers of our time. And next, Dr. Annalou Smitsman is a visionary scientist, published author, futurist, system architect, and leadership catalyst for the transition to a thrivable civilization. She is founder and CEO of Earthwise Center. They are both co-authors of The Quest of Rose, a brilliant, riveting exploration into the future human and the cosmic keys. And I can't wait to have this conversation. Welcome back to both of you. Thank you so much, Julie. It's such a pleasure to be back with you. You're wide mind, your deep soul, you really make us sit up, take notice, and recognize that uh, really it is women like you in the world who are turning the page on history, of history, whether you like it or not, and offering not just alternatives, but magnificent innovatives, innovations in thinking, feeling, and doing. And doing it to how, how long have you been doing this for, Julie? The well, the show for eight years now, and the work, who knows how many decades that's been. 
Thank you, Jean. I really appreciate your kind words. That's all true. Plus much, much more. Mm, thank mm. you. And welcome thank you back to Luce. Yes. yes. <laughs> so good to talk to you again. And thank you for this amazing introduction and for everything you're doing and really looking forward to our exploration. Well, thank you. I, you both know I have a traditional first question on the show and I can't wait to dig into Rose and the quest. But um, with this traditional first question, I thought it would be fun to ask you with a twist here, answer this as Rose and Verdandi. I, do I say Verdandi correct, grandmother? Yes. Yes, okay. Yes. So, Anna Luce, if you would speak for Rose and mm -hmm. Jean, if you would speak for grandmother Verdandi, what does all things connected mean to you? So, so Anna Luce, from the perspective of Rose, what does all things connected mean? Hmm. It means being alive within the cosmic architecture of the universe to understand that consciousness is primary and to understand that at the deepest, most fundamental levels of reality, we are united, we are whole and we are one. Mm. I love it. Thank you. And Jean, as Grandmother Verdandi. Well, my dear, <laughs> we are, as the good woman who just spoke said, we are all part of the great unity, the great oneness. And this oneness rises, particularly this great sense of connectivity when things get disconnected in our social, our political, even our moral worlds. So we're in a time of the rising tide of a new order of oneness. And uh, we may not see it yet because we're not unlike what happens in societies before Renaissance has come. It's the time of enormous breakdown as in the 14th century that preceded, the breakdown preceded new openings in science, in art, in philosophy, in the moral compass that happened in the Renaissance. Well, we are in a similar stage we're not quite there in the Renaissance. I love the Italian word for it, rinascita, rinascita. And it, but we feel it's, we feel it, 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 it's a kind of womb feeling that something is trying to get born and the birth is into the reuniting of who and what we really are, that we are not encapsulated bags of skin dragging around dreary little egos, we are part of the great organism, environment, uh, the meeting of mind, body, and spirit, and above all, the coming of the love that is the lure of all becoming, all reconnection. Mm. Jean, that was perfect. It was not only inspiring, but it's a teaser for my closing quote. I quote, Grandmother Verdandi in the closing of our show today, and you will just chuckle when you hear me share her quote with what you just shared. So thank you. I love both of those responses. And I, I, I think we should begin. I'm holding this book, The Future Humans Trilogy, and this is book one, The Cosmic Keys of Our Future Becoming, The Quest of Rose. And Rose is the main character in this story. Let's begin with the delivery of this trilogy. It's fiction. It's relatable. 
it's relevant and it has a unique real-time fiction that gives the reader a direct experience of this adventure and intrigue and wisdom and curiosity of the quest. I literally can feel both of you in this book. Jean, your deep influence into the mythology and Anna Luce, your wise influence into the codes. Every page weaves the best soulful expression of you both into the lives of the characters and the, the promise of our future becoming. And so this format is brilliant. You deliver this. I'm saying this on behalf of the readers because this is my introduction and then I'm going to ask you guys to expand on it, but you deliver it in a page turner. It's a fictional story that mirrors our world today and you give, like I mentioned, the readers real real practical, it's relevant, and it has down-to-earth practices and an integration summary at the end of each chapter. So, Jean, let's begin with you. How did you decide to write the Future Humans trilogy in fiction, and what was your process? How did you and Anna Luce come together and say, let's write this book? Uh, Anna Luce was writing to me, but I get an enormous amount of email, and somehow her letters did not get through. But, and one day I saw my dog just pawing away at a corner of a rug, pawing and pawing. It obviously had something important. It, was there a mouse there? And I went and I lifted up the rug, no mouse, but a manuscript. And evidently it was a manuscript having been sent to me by Annalus about how the future patterns the present and the past. Whoa, said I, this is right up my alley. I read it. It was we were so much in 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 tandem thought that I got in touch with her right away. She got right back to me, and uh, almost immediately we began writing together. We have never met in person. Anna Luce lives in on the island of Mauritius, and I'm uh, in Ashland, Oregon. So for the last what what is it? Probably eighteen months. Every day we are the phone at odd times because she's 11 hours ahead. So often at three o'clock in my morning, which is like four o'clock in the afternoon, hers, we, we talk, we work, and we write these books. And um, the, we've written the first one. Why did it come as fiction? Because it's not exactly fiction. Many of the things that are described in the book, including getting COVID, which is what Anna Luce had are, are parts of our lives or are parts of our thinking. And so we figured, let's put ourselves full flood right out there in the book. And that then with different characters, I'm more Verdandi as she is much more Rose. And it seems to be working because otherwise there are so many new concepts. There is so much science, particularly thankful to Anna Luce, who is widely known as the female Einstein. <laughs> so we figured that storying will carry us further, deeper, and uh, much more in touch with, with the people than our readings, our readers. It does work. Anna Luce, I'd love to hear you expand on that and perhaps share a bit about the storyline of Rose as well. I have to tell you, Mm -hmm. This is so real and relatable. For me, it's real. Not only have I had a near-death experience, but my experience with COVID and 10 days of fever was completely transformative. It was like 
you were telling my story on every page with Rose's um, adventure. It was, it was fascinating. So I trust that others, many, many, many others have had that same transformative experience with COVID now. So tell us more about the storyline, Anna Luce, and, and how this has emerged into this incredible book. Mm, thank you so much. And, and thank you, Jean, as well, for setting the context so well. Um, yes, as Jean was saying, we really felt it was important that we created um, characters for this book that everyone can relate with. And this is why we didn't make it into an autobiography. Um, but the, the characters really came alive. It's our own personal experiences, uh, many of our visions and our dreams and our feelings. And and indeed, all the signs that's part of the book is real. And that's why there are also real references there. That's not uh, not fiction. And some of the characters, like uh, Jude Carafin, <laughs> who you know very well. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I loved that yeah. part. Exactly. And that's part of um, my conversation with Jude. So that's, you know, word by word, her words there. Um, and Olaf, uh, who um, Rose has been exploring the Cosmic Compass game with, um, those are word for word, my son, Manu, my youngest son. And um, so, but we really felt that it was important to start a journey um, being in the cocoon, um, you know, which is where the Cosmic Cocoon is, where Rose goes um, when she dies for a few minutes and she goes back to the Cosmic Womb. And where she discovers that that cosmic womb is also a cosmic cocoon and she sees this cocoon around the entire earth and how we are being cocooned um, and what that process means. And around this cocoon, she sees this amazing pattern of these butterfly wings and she starts to see that that's really a pattern of transformation. So and that's helping our world right now and helping our humanity to evolve to the next stages. So we felt it was so important to give another way of languaging and, and giving process to this profound transformation we're going through. And also a, a different narrative around a virus, because, you know, just like for you as for me, it was a very transformative experience. And in fact, there's a part uh, in the book where Rose describes this, uh, her dream of three monsters that uh, are coming towards her and then something's comes from the bushes and tries to chop off the head of one of the monsters. But that's actually literally the dream that I had, you know, when I was going through COVID and when my immune system had to kind of learn and to realize not to chop off the spike of the um, of, of the COVID virus. Um, and so there is all of those kind of real life as well as fictional elements woven into that. But by giving also a different language around what do viruses do and could it be that they are huge evolutionary catalyst and instead of weaponizing it um, by our kind of defense reaction let's rather go into an immune response that's based on learning that's based on love that's based on integration and honor also therefore the role of the viruses in, in catalyzing our next stages of future becoming so that was really setting the stage in the hospital really in an emergency situation and of course you know now our planet also is is in a climate emergency and that, that is going to presence very strongly in, in book two that Jean and I are writing right now um, but it was really setting that stage and also being able to embrace death um, not as an ending but as a transition um, and, the, and the death really of old ways, of old perspectives to then enter into a much fuller and deeper 
comprehension and experience of this primordial unity of life itself. Mm. I, I thank you. That was a lot. And just to just to pause and allow the listeners to digest pieces of that. The the wisdom of of even understanding this virus as this evolutionary catalyst and there are many lessons like that in the book like even climate change not to create this defense against it or the war against it but how do we evolve into this so there there's so many lessons in each chapter and then each chapter organizes around a larger cosmic key and there are nine cosmic keys of consciousness in this first book and 12 brilliant transformative practices. I'm going to get a bit adventurous here with you. I'm wondering what key in this moment is most alive and wants to be expressed through you. So Jean, let's start with you again. What cosmic key right here in this moment is alive and calling you to express it to our listeners today? The key of unity, Jean. Yes, you're right. <laughs> she knows me well. And it is the I think it is the key of unity and the ways that we create processes in the book to bring people to uh, a, a, a new sense of the, what should we call it, being part of the spectrum of new possibilities and possibilities in which we see each other no longer as other, but as God in hiding. That'd be a nice way of putting it. Because once we can remythologize our sense of selves and others as part of this great unity and the key to turn the lock that has kept us shut down and closed off for so long, um, that this, this turning of the lock of otherness will really begin to bring us to profoundly new ways of being we thereby become much more intelligent because it's also turning in the key of unity for all the different parts of ourselves that have been uh, left unseen, unused, abandoned. And when we begin to wake up to the muchness that we contain, we begin to regain the personal unity that then allows us to deeply see, understand, call forth, evoke that similar sense of the unified being in the other. And then we connect together at new levels that we had forgotten we even had. Jean, you're brilliant. I love your quotes. Even the muchness that we contain, every time you open your mouth, you incite this, this new awareness inside the listener. It was brilliant. Thank you. So, so Anna Luce, what cosmic key is most alive in you at this moment and calling to be expressed? Mm, that's beautiful and I love this play well for me it's um, the key of darkness and that also relates very much to what the section that we're writing on today in, in book two in the, in the Nordic mythology um, of the ending of worlds and the beginning of a new one so yeah the key of sacred darkness that's really what's alive for me also when I was looking at the news everything that's going on right now and the importance of being able to rest also in that sacred darkness, to trust and befriend the darkness, which in um, book one is also the descent into the underworld, um, being able to safely enter the unconscious 
and um, really reconnect with parts of ourselves that we may not have been aware of and that that descent into our own unconscious is not a scary journey but a deeply sacred journey the kind of restfulness of darkness uh, that we also experience in the night when you can imagine that the the night embraces us as we let go and we release and we return our consciousness our personal consciousness to the universal consciousness and are reintegrated into that deeper unity um, that's why also the sacred darkness key enters us also into the key of unity that they're deeply linked and then returns us um, returns us back into the conscious awareness and helps us to understand how light is born from darkness I just want to presence for the listeners out there that both of those keys um, and your descriptions are are just like evocative of I want more, I want more. And the book goes into these keys in a real relatable way as we're discovering them. And then in every chapter, you you have practices and you have this integration summary, like literally, if you want the textbook on conscious evolution and, and consciousness, you, you could go to the back of the integration and read these statements that that are there. They're, they're brilliant. So we, we're going to take a break in just a few minutes. But Ana Luce, um, you mentioned this in book two that you're writing now. I'm just curious if you could share with the listeners what are the contents of how does this future humans trilogy go from book one, book two, book three? And when might we see book two and book three? I'm just curious. Yes, of course. And in, in book two, um, Rose really receives now the, the cosmic um, tools. So whereas book one is really about the key in book two, she receives seven avatar tools, uh, which are architect tools for the conception of a world. Um, not just only the building, but really at the beginning, because she's she's really having that understanding of the transition between the old worlds of what's dying and how do we now conceive this new world from wholeness and unity. And this is where Ferdandi, her grandmother, um, gives her then the seven architects avatar tools. Um, and the avatar aspect of book two is to really understand this cosmic interface within our larger cosmic selves. Um, and to be able to develop also the maturity and the wisdom with the powers that are awakening from our future human selves. And so that's a very deep journey into these seven tools, which then help her uh, for book three to start really truly architecting with her friends and with her allies um, all the foundations for the new world. In book two, we also address very deeply the issues around climate change, what's not working with the economic and financial systems, the call for change also deeply in the political system. So we're addressing a lot of these world issues and then take that through into book three, um, where they, you know, with this um, team awareness and their collective capacities start building this more beautiful world um, of the future humans, of the new civilizations. Mm. Wow. I, I'm like on my edge of my seat waiting for book two and book three. <laughs> Any idea when that might yes, um, be yes, birthed yes. into the world? That's right. Book two will probably be coming out in the beginning of uh, next year. Um, and then book three should be coming uh, mid next year. So mm. soon. 
We'll be there soon. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. It's exciting to imagine you sitting together using technology halfway around the planet and it connecting so deeply to allow this storytelling and this new mythos to you know to emerge between the two of you it's 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 amazing that you can do that i'm i'm so happy that gene your dog introduced you to this manuscript with Anna Luce and brought you two together. It's really an exquisite story. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, you're going to hear more about Rose and this quest. I'm going to bring some of the quotes in from the book and we're going to go a little bit deeper. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I might look like an adult, like a person who could possibly be a parent, but I have no idea how to talk like one. And everyone knows that if you want to be a parent, you have to sound good when you say things like, Don't make me turn this car around, or because I said so, or don't make me come back there. I don't even really know what those things mean, but I know that I actually believed my parents when they said them to me. How did they manage to sound so convincing? Here we go. Don't make me come back there. Oh, no, that's not tough enough at all. Kids can sense weakness. Don't make me come back there. Ooh, yeah, that's better. In fact, that kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to listen to you practice your dad voice. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit adoptuskids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. I'm Paul George of the Indiana Pacers. When I was six, I had one thing on my mind. When I was six, my days were spent playing basketball every chance I could. When I was six, my dream was to make it to the NBA. When I was six, my mom had a stroke. So I want you to learn the signs of a stroke fast. F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. Because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. I'm Paul George. Protect the ones you love. Spot a stroke F-A-S-T. Fast. Life is why. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Just now, another kid dropped out of school. There's one every 20 seconds. Over 200 kids an hour. That adds up to nearly 5,000 kids every school day. If we do nothing, 3.5 million kids won't receive a diploma over the next four years. But there is someone who can change that. And that someone is you. United Way knows that kids who have a caring adult in their life are more likely to make it. So make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Because the path to success or failure starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. 
Take the pledge to volunteer now at unitedway.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and perhaps listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. And on the leading edge of personal, social, and global transformation, I invite you to be a way shower, a change agent, and make connections that inspire and accelerate our collective awakening and planetary healing. Stay connected every week with my newsletter where you'll find meaningful content, opportunities, and inspiration, even descriptions of this show right now and a direct link that you can click on. You can do that by signing up for my email at juliecrawlemail.com. Very simple. It's juliecrawlemail.com. That's K-R-U-L-L. And my guests today are the brilliant Anna Lou Smitsman and Jean Houston, authors of The Quest of Rose. It's the book one of the Future Humans trilogy. And I just want to put the exclamation point on book one because, boy, there's more to come and you're going to fall in love with these. You could find out more about the trilogy and book one at futurehumans.world. Again, that's www.futurehumans.world. And wow, I am honored to bring the voice of Rose and this trilogy to all of you as listeners. I I think you'll fall in love with it as much as I did. So Jean and and Anna Luce, I want to begin by sharing a few quotes. And I um, I, I have this idea of having you expand on some of them. So first, I love how Rose learns that her body is not the shape, but the process of life that created it. What a, there's so many incredible quotes in here. I have so much yellow ink on the pages, but in understanding that, that about her body, Rose says, here's the quote I wanna invite you both to expand on. And Jean, I'm gonna start with you. Rose says, maybe my body was never really dying from the virus, but was actually renewing and transforming itself together with the virus. We mentioned that in the first half a bit. I experienced that, Annalise experienced that, and I know that my experience with the virus was so transformative, so evolutionary. So Jean, can you explain that and maybe this idea that our body is not the shape but the process of life that created it as well? Well, I think that we are process. We are process incarnate. And one of the things that I have discovered in my work studying human potential for so many years is that when you put awareness, which we sometimes call sentience, in the center of your mind, in the center of your life, with it comes a a shift in consciousness, a moral shift. You become aware of the incredible spectrum of opportunities and choices that we all have. And a moral process, as we actually say in the book, this process itself can shift your consciousness and thereby your body to higher states of consciousness that are required, are required for accessing higher choices of your your, uh, future potentials. 
I mean, you enter into a state of a kind of, and I think both of you did during your, your experiences with, with the COVID, a, a kind of creative tension that serves to awaken you. Uh, you're not meant to stay in it. But once a new awareness of, emerges, you find that there is an, also emerges a new kind of guidance that guides you further. And it is felt, it is felt as a thrill, as a hum, as a kind of song of awakening that begins to move throughout your whole body and mind. And you know it's time for change. And you, it's not to avoid change. It's to say, I am in, in the opening the door to not only a whole new way of being, but that which will allow me to become the required human. We enter into what is what we call in the book paradox. And paradox is the tension that causes us to wake up because it holds the evolutionary tensions for what is trying to happen in ourselves. And we think, how can I be here and half dead? And yet I've had this incredible evolutionary call that is calling me to a larger aliveness and awakeness. Unfortunately, we, we, we tend to treat, especially in Western cultures, all uh, paradox. I'm, I'm alive and yet I'm dying. <laughs> you know? mm. But it's often that is the point in which you say, I am waking up to a larger frame of being, to becoming the possible human, the required human, the human that is already existing in me and calling me to an eye, to an, a, a, an immensity of becoming that is larger than my aspiration and more complex than all my dreams. Anna Luce, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring you right into that, um, the essence of that lesson right there, because as Rose goes through her transformation, she, um, when she's saying that about her body and, and, and experiencing the transformation, she recognizes that she can't go back to the life she had. She can't go back to the same anything, the work and and her quality of life. And I, I wonder if you experienced that as well as it's coming through the writing. I'm curious about that. But, but do you want to expand on that a little bit more? Oh, that's beautiful. Yes. Yeah, actually, I experienced that three times very profoundly in my life. Um, when it was a real, that's why in the, in the Roseville also described that she had dreams before this happened, that she was on a dead end road, that everything seemed to be ending and that she didn't know what was past the bend. She didn't know what it actually, what it meant. It was only afterwards when she made that conscious choice to renew her life and herself with her future consciousness. And that's really an essential key. And it's, it's done from the future consciousness, not about the future, not from here looking at the future, but from those imaginal cells, those potentials within us. And so, yes, in my own life, I experienced that three times as well, when I had a glimpse of this future that was calling me, and I realized that the change that it required was so, so deep and, and sometimes also very, very difficult. Um, and the last time I went through that change so, so deeply, uh, I actually um, decided to divorce uh, my then partner, you know, so there was major implications um, when I felt that that life had come to an end for me um, and it wasn't that there was anything wrong with him or with me. Uh, it just wasn't meant to be and it, it just was not the next stage of my future becoming 
Um, so this is also where that is within that uh, that understanding for Rose as well, the the the, the letting go and the the trusting uh, and the courage, the courage mm. to trust. You know that what's calling us is calling us into something we don't yet understand, we don't yet know what it will be, but that the only way to truly be alive is is to go there because he recognizes he just there's nothing there's no there's no point of return. Mm. It's an irreversible, and that's when it's a tipping point, because the nature of tipping points is such that um, it changes the structure of a system so dramatically that there's no turning back, just like the metamorphosis of the caterpillar. That once it starts to dissolve, it can't go back to being caterpillar again. <laughs> um, so, there, yeah, so there are tipping points right now for all of us that are irreversible change processes of very deep transformation and but and requires a courageous trust um, in what that future calling is. Mm. So here's another quote that relates to the process that we're speaking of and it says each choice carries a state of consciousness so much that a choice can carry an entire world if part of our life is dying or sick, then something inside us is already seeking to be reborn as a new choice, a new experience for life to evolve. Jean, do you want to speak of that, of how does a choice carry an entire world? Because we are inseparable with each other. Ultimately. Mm. We go back to the original unity, don't we? And in that unity, we even a small choice, even the smallest of choices has all manner of repercussions, not simply in our body, mind, but also in our history. It, 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 uh, it, it shifts the past as it activates the future. We begin to rethink our lives, our possibilities. Let me just tell you about what happened to me once. I was 20 years old, I was in Crete, and I had typhoid fever. And um, there were no doctors, there was nothing. And I was lying there actually on hay, <laughs> as I recall. Mm -hmm. um, and I was dying. And I thought, what am I doing? I'm 20 years old, I still have more life. I've got to live. Who's around that can help me live? And there was nobody, physical person around. But I, I required it. And what happened is suddenly, <laughs> <laughs> these great goddesses of ancient Crete, remember I'm, I'm, I'm in high fever too, show up and they begin to dance and sing in front of me and around me. And the music was so great. <laughs> and, the, and the beauty of it was so astonishing. And they seemed to point to something. And what they pointed to was looked like a door. And the, there was a door that would lead to my death and there was a door that could lead to saying yes to life and agreeing. And so I chose the door of life. I went through and my horrendous fever broke. And here I still am. Mm. That was an example of a choice moving in all directions. I love that story because I hear remnants of Rose's choice in, in her moment. So thanks for sharing that personal story. Annalise, I have another quote. I'm going to ask you to really explain this to our listeners. This is a big one. I can't remember who said it, if it was grandmother, um, I think. And 
the quote is, the cosmos is the architecture of consciousness. And it's a lesson that Rose learns. The cosmos is the architecture of consciousness. Annalise, can you explain that? Mm, yes. And actually, that's also, it's from both, from my grandmother and Rose herself. So cosmos, of course, also means ordered wholeness yeah, uh, in, in the meaning of the word itself. So once he sees that consciousness itself also has implicit orders, um, deeper structures, and that those are informational structures and that these are alive, then she also starts to recognize what is that ordered wholeness as in implicate orders of reality how do they live within us and how do they create fractal patterns and that really inform um, how life comes into being how life evolves so she has a very profound understanding then that consciousness itself its architecture for creating worlds for creating matter <laughs> uh, a physical reality is informational and this is also where Rose then discovers that key of cosmic communication uh, with the information of immortality. And that's a very deep one that follows from that realization. Yeah, where she, she recognizes that, huh? So this informational reality, this ordered wholeness at cosmos itself. So cosmos is not bound by space or time. Cosmos itself is immortal and eternal. But it's like a womb, as what creates womb structures in life. It's generative. It brings us forth. And therefore, the cosmos is alive within all of us as these deep implicate orders of that wholeness um, that bring us forth. And so she starts to, to learn now how to access reality at these different two levels. One, the temporal noticing how life is a process of constant and ongoing changes that moves like a spiral sometimes the spiral moves out sometimes it moves back in but that there is also something that is not off time that she can access that's that non-local connectivity um, that we very often experience as this as spiritual realizations the spiritual dimensions and so she starts to learn now how to move between these two perspectives um, really at the blink of an eye <laughs> just by shifting her focus which is also where she then used to apply her conscious choice as a way of shifting her consciousness to the temporal or the non-temporal non-local dimensions of life and therefore enhances her transformative capacities her understanding of life her way of relating uh, with this dance of consciousness that she knows is always a part of so this is another brilliant part of the book, which your explanation brings me right into the heart of what I felt was so fun was because this book is written in, in present time. There's so many of our most amazing friends that you integrate into the quest. It becomes the science that explains these concepts. And even just um, from the indigenous, you 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 move from our friend Jude Curavan into the honorary chief filling junior in a quote that he has and it's so fun to hear their voices in this exploration as well but it really helps ground the new science um that's brilliant gene do you want to expand on that 
more of, of how you literally bring the science in and, and, and it really comes alive for the characters in the book. Years ago, I was in the White House and working with Hillary Clinton, um, helping her with her book, It Takes a Village to Raise a Child. And I noticed in my time there that everything seemed to work. <laughs> you, you, I mean, the food, the uh, the information, the, the music, it, it was so beautifully put together. And I said, Hillary, how did you do this? She says, well, we're just a full service organization. And that stuck into my mind in such a strong way. And I realized the power of this book is it's a full service book. So <laughs> what happens is you read a story and it has an artful, uh, an artful presentation. You get engaged in the story. So you are so engaged that when the exercises come along, and we have a lot of exercises to put you into states of consciousness where you wake up to the fact that you are, uh, that the cosmic presence is always there within you as your awareness that enables you, as we say, to direct, focus, shift your self-awareness into wholeness and unity. And yet, and you become, you're in a state of radical becoming during the process of, of reading. And it becomes more than a reading, it becomes informational building blocks of consciousness are placed within you. You discover the keys and ways of developing not only regeneration of your body, your mind, your soul, but also, especially in the third volume, of all of society itself. Mm. So powerful, so powerful. And I, I want to get to that question about the breakdowns and breakthroughs before we close, but you just talked about the storytelling. And the storytelling is quite exquisite in the stories. There's just, it, like you said, it's so engaging, Gene. And um, if we don't like our current world story, we can start telling a better story. That's Absolutely. one of the one of the pieces. If we, even before it becomes a reality, you say. So this is a powerful example. And you, you also tell a story about the boy riding the bike. Um, and I'm wondering if if you could say more about that. Annalise, let's begin with you. If, if if you don't like our current world story, we could start telling a better story even before it becomes a reality. <laughs> yes, and you know, the whole way that we went about writing the book is that. It's a living example of that. Um, this, so this is very, for example, we felt that the story of science, coming back to your earlier question, as well as the, the story about climate science, <laughs> for example, it's not quite working. They're very profound insights and understandings, but um, people are not able to to relate with it. So we found it was so so incredibly important that we were able to ourselves work on what how can we tell a story and share a story where people feel they're part of the making of this new story, and by becoming the storytellers and story creators of this new way and of this new pattern, we're bringing it alive, and that's also part of the fifth future archetype um, that we share in chapter eight of the quest of rose which is the new paradigm storyteller and that's the fifth future archetype is also the one then that brings the future potentials the new patterns the new possibilities really you know into the world because a story also when it touches us it fertilizes exactly those future potentials uh, that are seeking to be born in order to create these larger possibilities for all of us. 
This is all so powerful. I encourage all of you to go to futurehuman.world and, and check out more here. So let's talk about that. The premise that yes, we are in a time of whole system transformation where everything is deconstructing and reconstructing. And our mythic structure, you guys mentioned that our, our, on the website, our mythic structure is also changing. So I said in the intro that perhaps we don't have to have whole systems breakdowns to wait for the emergence of the breakthroughs. What can you share with our listeners to activate or catalyze this potent remembering here, Gene, that we don't have to have the breakdowns? I'm, I'm calling this a consciousness hack. You guys didn't use those words, but I'm calling it. Gene, let's start with you. Let's talk about well, this consciousness hack. Consciousness hack is not a bad idea. We realize that we are not alone in this uh, incredible field of consciousness. Uh, I mean, different civilizations and cultures, they talk about angels or uh, elementals or whatever, but, and we talk about archetypes, that we are archetypally gifted. Um, for example, I've always had a personal archetype, almost since before I was born, because she showed up as a dream in my mother's uh, uh, during her pregnancy. And it's the archetype that is generally known as Athena, but also is sort of Saraswati in the West and, and shows up as a uh, uh, corn mother uh, in various Indian traditions. But this particular archetype is comes along with our awareness of the sheer breadth and depth of consciousness so that you know that she is also one who is helping the butterfly body to emerge. And the butterfly body is the next stage of our evolution that is yearning to come forth. What archetypes do is they serve as evocateurs of the possible within us. They are those that attend us on our journey. And we do write a lot about that within, within the book. We are not alone. We are... Uh, you know, we are coded with these potencies for the next stage in the same way that the butterfly was coded while still in the womb of the chrysalis and the, and the, uh, and the shut-in state in the, uh, in the caterpillar. We are coded with the next stages. And what we really try to do uh, in this book is to activate the coding in such a way that during in the reading, in the doing of the exercises, in the celebration of this new life that is yearning to be born in you, something happens. As clearly, my friend, you seem to suggest that it was happening to you during the reading of this book. Mm, absolutely, Jean. Thank you for that. And and yes, I I see it activating inside others in the reading piece of it which is really exciting and it you know and it goes back to this idea that that you've talked about that the same personal inner state of consciousness is the same inner state of consciousness in the world and so on a loose i don't have a lot of time to give you to respond to that but perhaps in two minutes or less you might want to expand on this idea and invite our listeners into that that activation with this whole idea that we can bring in the future potentials without a lot of 
horrible, painful breaking down and destruction that perhaps this consciousness hack is a new way of looking at things. My pleasure. And I'll try to do that indeed in two minutes. Very, very brief. <laughs> so the first thing, yeah, the first thing about the understanding of the emergence is really the skill of repurposing. Um, so when we are when we're not working really with evolutionary process, things tend to go quite bad until there's breakdown and collapse. So that it's almost freeing life then to repurpose itself. But we don't have to wait until something breaks down. What we can do is start to be aware already of the new emerging structures that we can access imaginally. And this is really important because those structures and potentials, yes, these five future archetypes also that we're sharing in the book, they exist within us already, within our imaginary imaginal consciousness, just like that cosmos, the ordered wholeness. So these are the, the structural orders um, of reality, of these, of these higher possibilities that we call our future. And by being in tune with that, by bringing that alive, by bringing forth those new structures of our butterfly self, what happens then is that when old structures and old ways are falling away, or what we may call, um, they seem to be like collapsing, we won't experience it as a collapse because in that moment we'll be able to repurpose this as nutrients um, for the new body of consciousness that's building. Just like within the cocoon, the enzymes of transformation are turning the old caterpillar body into a nutrient soup. So that the past is still in service of the future, but as a nutrient, as a composted mm. nutrient, yeah, in which it can be made incredibly useful. So that's so important, again, to feel that process of life within us, to be aware of the little carrots and the and the potatoes that are growing under the soil while we can't yet see them and we may be impatient, you know. <laughs> you know my son always says, he said, Mommy, can we now open the soil and see if the carrots is there? <laughs> it's like, no way, son. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's beautiful. It's it's beautiful the the repurpose as nutrients. This is so encouraging. I, I know for all those listeners out there, if you're in fear and constriction, this is one way to relax into your future potential. It's brilliant. Thank you both for bringing this work to our greater consciousness here on the planet. I appreciate this book, and I appreciate both of you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And I want to leave you listeners with the words of Grandmother Verdandi. This is the time of the new conception that will birth a new era. We're living in a potent time of renaissance, rebirth. This is the revival of our souls from the potential of our greater future. The future that brings to life new patterns and possibilities that unlock the hidden treasures of our minds. You've been listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.